Now, brothers and sisters, if you can join me on the reading of the New Testament on page 1186, Hebrews 3, verses 14 to 19. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first. As has just been said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as you did in the rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the desert? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest if not to those who disobeyed. So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Ramiro. And it's been such a blessing this morning already to see people using their gifts, including Mike, able to go and visit him at his preschool to see this is what he loves to do and he's gifted to do and also thank you for the beautiful song this morning well we heard the finishing verses of hebrews chapter 3 already to show us where we're going to end this morning but the topic and title of today's sermon is softening a hard heart have you ever noticed in life there are many things that can be difficult to deal with. Just regular, ordinary things in life. You've ever painted and forgot to clean out the paintbrush? What happens? Paint dries on that paintbrush. You have to beat that paintbrush out to get all that dry paint out just so you can use it again. If you've ever tried to make dough, even with mixers, you mix all the ingredients, but you have to knead that dough all together, put it in the fridge, bring it out, and maybe bring the rolling pin Why? to work in all the ingredients to be able to be baked. Or if you've ever had a stain on clothes or in your house, you scrub, 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 and it, whatever you do, it doesn't seem like it needs, it's going to be able to come out. Well, that's what Hebrews chapter 3 tells us when it comes to our hearts. God takes it very seriously to warn us, to challenge us about how to deal with stubbornness, anger, bitterness, unforgiveness. God wants to help us to make sure that we don't treat others with a hard heart or to be closed off from God himself. So to help us see a little context, let's take a look at Hebrews chapter 3, the first six verses to identify how to avoid having a hard heart. Hebrews chapter 3 begins, Therefore, holy brothers, who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest whom we confess 
He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, testifying to what would be said in the future. But Christ is faithful as a son over God's house. We are his house if we hold on to our courage and the hope of which we boast. We are God's house. First way we can see about having a soft heart that we trust God to be the builder of our lives. The way to compare this, here we're challenged to see that Moses was a good leader, but Moses is not to be trusted to build our lives. A few weeks ago, we looked in chapter 2, how it was told that Jesus was even greater than spiritual beings, angels. That's a theme all throughout this book of Hebrews, that Jesus is greater, in this case, greater than Moses. Now, Moses did some pretty great things. Early Christians would have heard Moses' name and said, but he's a great leader. He was able to go to Pharaoh, the most powerful person in that area at that time in history. He was able to have Israel, God's people, set free from slavery. Moses met with God to receive the law, the Ten Commandments, the first five books of the Bible. Moses was a faithful leader, but what we're told here in these first few verses in Hebrews chapter 3 is that what made Moses great was he prepared for the future, the coming of Jesus. Leaders alone don't build our lives. Jesus is to be trusted with our hearts. In fact, Jesus himself in Matthew 7 tells us a simple story, a parable to illustrate, to tell us what that looks like. So listen to him about how we can have our lives built upon what he says. In Hebrew, uh, Matthew chapter 7, Starting in verse 24, Jesus said this, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew, beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew, and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Here in 2023, a few thousand years later, modern architects will tell you exactly the same thing, right? You could have a beautiful mansion, the greatest decorations, 
the most beautiful furniture. But the only thing that is important, importante, is the foundation upon which it's built. That represents our lives too. But if you take it the other way, that means even if your life is modest, with a one-room house, simple decorations, you too can have a life and a purpose found in Jesus. No matter where we're born, the size of our families, the type of job that we have, or even, yes, the styles of our houses. The most important thing is our foundation. What our lives are built upon. In this case, we're told the words of Jesus, the teaching of Jesus, Jesus Himself is always dependable, stable, never changing, so that our lives can weather the storms, the circumstances we find that we face. Relationships come and go, don't they? But God is always faithful. Someone might even have the best career, the greatest finances, the best clothes, the best school for your kids. Not that those things are unimportant. But we cannot neglect our foundation. So what is that foundation? Well, as we've already seen, it's our very hearts, the very core of who we are. We go to Proverbs chapter 4. We're given a very small verse. This would be a great one to memorize. It's what we're told. Verse 23 is that above all else, Guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of your life. Guard your hearts. Build your life on Jesus. Why? We're told it's the wellspring of life. It informs all areas of how we live. Now our hearts are more than just corazon. It's not just the organ inside of our body that pumps blood. That's an important Organ, isn't it? It affects so many things in our bodies. But in this case, our hearts, the very core of who we are, our emotions, the center of our life, our desires, how we think, connected to our personalities, our motives, what drives us as people. That's why when someone says, that they're broken hearted. What they mean is something happened that reaches past the other protections we set, we've set up in our lives. And it's hit them to the very core of their being. Broken hearted to the very core. That's why Jesus says the wind and waves, if our lives are not built on Him, will cause a house and a life to crash. The good news this morning is that God builds our hearts and rebuilds us when we need to be strengthened by what He says, by who He is. 
Moses did great things. But we don't just listen to people alone. Why? People can let us down. That's why we look to Jesus first. In fact, I had a friend who took this to heart so much that when people would ask him, what does it mean to be saved? How do I know I'm going to heaven? They would even ask him, can you tell me, am I going to heaven? He said, that's an important question, but he said, you're asking the wrong person. We don't look to other people to answer that question. What he meant was, he talked to one person about that, Jesus. And the good news is, if you ask him to be forgiven, Jesus forgives all of your sin. Jesus gives eternal life so that when the wind and waves come, it will not crush us. So what does that look like? It's first and foremost, as we're doing here, to be aware of our hearts, not just our actions, to be aware of what motivates us, to identify what leads to those actions. Anger is a good example. When we find ourselves being angry, that's the result of our hearts, isn't it? Anger overpromises and underdelivers. What does anger try to do? Anger tells you to get angry, to yell, maybe be uh, aggressive, but it ends up making you feel worse than we were before. Instead, we turn to God to help us with our desires help root out the things that cause us to struggle so that we build our lives upon Him. Talked about that this morning in adult Sunday school. To remember that His love is patient. His love is kind. Next thing that we can see here, Hebrews chapter 3, about having a soft heart. We have a stubborn and hard heart. The importance of who we listen to, to not listen to lies. Picking back up in verse 7 through 13, here's what it says in Hebrews chapter 3. So it says, So as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the desert, where your fathers tested and tried me, and for 40 years saw what I did. This is why I was angry with that generation. And I said, their hearts are always going astray. And they have not known my ways. So I declare, on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. The opposite of listening to God's truth is listening to sin. As we saw there, sin is deceitful. Sin is not honest with us. It twists the truth. And it doesn't want us to know that about how sin works. In fact, we already read that this morning, but in Jeremiah chapter 17, we're even told 
sin is dishonest, that hearts are deceitful, and they're in need of God's help. Let me read those verses again for us. Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond, beyond cure. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward a man according to his conduct, according to what his deeds deserve. In other words, we rationalize the irrational. We defend the indefensible. Every one of us, there's wickedness in our hearts that we're not aware of. And what's worse is that it does not want us to suspect it's there. That's why God is honest with us. Instead of the deceitfulness of sin. Now in the prophet Jeremiah's day, he was speaking to God's people Israel just after they had celebrated and worshipped together. Only there was a problem. They went home to worship false religious beliefs, false idols. That's why they were supposed to hear these words. Don't let your hearts deceive you. In fact, when they perhaps heard these verses, they would have maybe thought, wait, me? My heart? No, but I'm a good person. Who, me? No, but I do good things. Or maybe they would even said, yeah, you know, God said that, but he wasn't really serious about who we worship. God was very serious, very clear. There is only one God, our triune God. And that's what our hearts can do as well if we don't watch it. In fact, to illustrate that, even as we had the children's message this morning, we can learn so much from children, can't we? Have you ever tried to talk with a young child who just did something or said something they shouldn't have done and you ask them that question? What are we thinking? Why do we ask them, why did you just do that? Well, they'll tell us, won't they? They'll say, I don't know. And they're honest. Sometimes they don't know. They're just young. They're learning. They're figuring it out as well as we know our hearts are prone to want to do what we want to do, to be selfish. And even though as adults we've grown, I'm sure if we're all honest, we know that same feeling, don't we? To find ourselves saying, what was I thinking? Why did I say that? Why did I just do that? Well, here we're told we should be grateful that God is honest with us. That we need Him. We need His truth. Instead of letting the lies of sin discourage. We're also given, again, he, the, the Hebrews 3 continually talks about God's people, Israel, in the desert with Moses for 40 years. Even after being freed, you thought, you think that they'd be grateful and encouraged. But for 40 years, they were hungry and they complained, even though God gave them food. They were thirsty and complained. God provided water where there wasn't water. God showed them the way to go during the day. And at night, when it was dark and they're out in the middle of nowhere, God shone a light so that they would be encouraged that they could see. 
feel protected. And yet they still had stubborn, hard hearts. That's why verse 13 tells us to encourage one another, to be encouraged, because lies discourage. God's truth provides the encouragement we need. When I first started out as a pastor, I worked with teenagers, and I remember hearing one time to encourage a middle school or high school student as if they've never been encouraged yet that day. And the reality is many of them have not been encouraged at all. In the midst of all the competing messages that we hear, the way that media tries to tell us to compare our lives to others, to tell us that we're not good enough, that we just need to be better and try harder. Instead, God truly cares. God provides a better way. To tell us that yes, life can be disappointing and our hearts can struggle. But God provides the encouragement we need so that we can point to His truth. Now, just one final point about encouragement. We need to be careful, right? Because encouragement is different than flattery. Flattery is just telling something to someone in order to get from them. It's self-focused, not God-focused. True encouragement isn't just about trying to make someone feel better. It's being honest, even about the bad news as we see here. True encouragement is to help people see how God sees them. We're here in encouragement in English has that word courage in it. It's to give courage, to build them up. The original language of Greek and even in Espanol, it actually is a little closer to being understood about giving comfort, to come alongside someone for help. In fact, elsewhere in the Bible, Jesus even calls the Holy Spirit the comforter, the helper to guide us in God's truth. To help us remember the foundational things that Jesus said. Like the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do to you. The longer you study the Bible, you can hear that and think, okay, yeah, I know that. To live it out, we need God's help. And it can be so encouraging when we take that to heart. In fact, one way I heard that explained that always sticks with me is to turn it around. To think about the things that discourage us, that might cause us to complain. When we find ourselves wanting to complain, instead of complaining, thinking no one's encouraging me, no one's helping me, Jesus says, look around. Because chances are, if we have that discouragement, there are probably somebody else who's also discouraged. And Jesus says, do that for them. Encourage others the way that you realize you would like to be encouraged. And the beautiful thing when we do that, and when we encourage, when we do unto others, oftentimes we even forget what we were complaining about. And when we encourage other people, they in turn take that to heart. 
and then turn around to encourage us when we need it as well. Each of us can start by encouraging so that other people can be encouraged as well. And then finally, we think about having soft hearts instead of hardened hearts. Not only do we need God to build our lives, avoiding the lies and deceit, but finally we can rest in the grace that God gives, which is more than just saying we believe. We've already heard those verses Chapter 3, verses 14, 14 through 17, it repeats that phrase. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Which is quoted from Psalm 95 to describe God's people, Israel, in the desert. Who again, we're not walking by faith. Sadly, the result of which meant they did not enter the rest of the promised land. Even after 40 years all because they missed the warning signs of stubborn hearts, bitter hearts. They may even said that they trusted God, but they had faith elsewhere. And the reality is faith in anything else but Jesus is like wandering around, never going anywhere. But the good news of the gospel is that God's amazing grace is more than just saying we believe. It's truly allowing God to change our hearts. The lyrics of Amazing Grace, which by the way, I've heard described as the the most sung song in all of history, the most well-known song, and rightfully so. Because John Newton, whose life was completely transformed later in life when his vision actual vision was going. He said, I once was lost, but now I'm found. Blind, but now I see. Without Jesus, there is no rest. But the good news is that God gives eternal life. Which means having God confidence, not self-confidence. We see described in these verses the importance of persevering. To know that trusting in Jesus means the persevering persevere. God gives us perseverance to keep going. Which doesn't mean to just do, do, do. To work, work, work. It means to truly rest in Him. If we try it on our own, it leads to burnout and frustration, anger, discouragement. Things we want to avoid. One way I saw it illustrated is like a long car trip. The longer we drive, especially late at night, even when we start thinking, you know, I can keep driving, I can keep going. To do so without stopping is dangerous. It's important to make sure that we even just pull over just to rest our legs and stand up a little bit. That's what Hebrews 3 tells us. To warn us against a stubborn, hard heart. Thinking I can do life by myself. I don't need to slow down. Or even worse, to, to think that anybody who listens to God is weak. Reality is, God helps us to take time to examine our hearts. 
to remember our need for his grace alone to enjoy the peace that only he gives. In fact, to help us consider this, later in Matthew chapter 21, Jesus yet again tells us a great story, a parable, a great lesson to tell us the importance of watching out for just saying or thinking that we're living for God. But truly trusting in Him and resting in Him. In Matthew 21, starting in verse 28, Jesus says, What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, Son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? The first, they answered. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. The tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness. And you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. Two sons, but different outcomes. Jesus asks an important question. Verse 31, which of these two sons did what his father wanted? That's an important question, an interesting question. Because I might be tempted to ask which of the two sons made a mistake? Which of the two sons failed? That's a different question, isn't it? Because the answer to that question is both sons. Both sons failed. The first one completely disrespected his father. No, dad, I won't go work. That was tough to hear. That wasn't right. But his heart changed, didn't it? He realized who his father was. He realized what he needed to do. And he turned around. He changed. But meanwhile, the second son, at first glance, looked like he had his life together. He may have thought, oh yeah, Dad, I'll do it. Sure, I'll go work. But he also failed too, didn't he? He didn't obey. The reality is, is he completely disrespected his father. He didn't understand what his father was all about. His need for his father, in this case, to represent God. And even the religious leaders, they knew the answer that Jesus asked the question to. They answered with the right answer, but Jesus took it a step further. and points out how they, how they had completely dismissed the tax collectors and prostitutes. Those who realized they needed God's forgiveness. The good news is all who hear the need for Jesus' forgiveness and turn from their sin to trust Him by grace are saved. Which means there's hope for me. There's hope for you and all who are in need.
May we never lose sight of our need for Jesus as we share this hope for others. In fact, that's why in the front of your bulletin, another example from the other side, you can read the full quote. Perhaps you already have this morning, but it's taken from John Wesley in 1738. A man, if you understand in history, who had left England thinking that he was serving God. But he realized that he was missing something at that time in his life. He had no peace in his heart. And it wasn't until he saw how others, when they heard this message of Jesus, were forgiven. How they trusted in Jesus by faith and were saved. Perhaps probably because he had been around the Christian message for quite some time in his life, but it was seeing this that helped encourage him to fully rely on the grace that Jesus gives. And famously, he describes it as a heartwarming experience that changed him to his very core. And after this experience, he returned back to Oxford in England. And he began to share that message powerfully at a time in history when others were hungry for something they too were missing. The grace of Jesus that softens every hardened heart in me. I'll read once more. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. As we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of us hold firmly to him with confidence.